sorry I don't love you A phrase I've grown accustomed to Cause with you if something isn't wrong Something isn't wrong Something isn't right Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Mike Kamate. We're talking all about Spider-Man Homecoming today. Mike, how are you doing? I am consistently honored by you asking me to come back, and also super stoked that you keep asking me to do such awesome movies. Yes, I know I sent you a list of the Marvel movies that I hadn't covered yet. I had talked to one or two people about doing this one, and it just never came through. So I was like, all right, I know Mike will be up for it. So I just sent you the list and you were like, right away, Spider-Man. Yes. How have you not covered that sort of thing? Absolutely. I don't like I, I have to do it. Like, it's just this. I mean, I, Spider-Man was in Captain America Civil War. So I feel like that was really just what I wanted to do the whole time is just Spider-Man Homecoming. But I took the second <laughs> best thing, which is Civil War. Yes. Well, this one opened up, so it is all yours. And I know we have quite a few things we want to talk about here, but I do want to touch on the cast real quick because I think this movie had a really strong cast. And it seems like casting is has been one of Marvel's strong suits throughout the entirety of the MCU once, you know, Iron Man started. Maybe not so much with the Hulk movie, but that that's like its own separate thing. <laughs> Yeah, they they really didn't have their footing yet. Yeah, but with the casting of Tom Holland as Spider-Man, I feel like, you know, once we got a feel for that in Civil War, we were like, okay, yes, this is falling into place. And I don't know about your thoughts on this, but for me, I think Tom Holland is my favorite actor to have played Spider-Man between, you know, him, Andrew Garfield, and Tobey Maguire. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to have somebody who's not pushing 30 playing a teenager in high school, I think. I think that's always a good thing. <laughs> you know, like, you can get away with an actor, um, like, portraying, like, an early 20s character if they're in their late 20s or early 30s. But, like, when you're, like, late 20s trying to portray a 15-year-old, like, there's a big difference between a 15-year-old and a 25-year-old. And this is the first time where we actually get somebody... I think Tom Holland was 19 when he was cast in this and 20 when he, they were filming. So, like, technically, he's still out of the ballpark, you know, in terms of portraying the actual age or like in terms of actually being the age he's portraying but he's so much closer and just his 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 physique and his his demeanor I guess is much more youthful than like Tobey Maguire who's like you know just I feel like he's just an old man you know even back <laughs> in, even back in Spider-Man like Raimi's Spider-Man he was just like an old man cast as a child it just it just didn't look right yeah definitely and, uh, with Andrew Garfield, even, even The Amazing Spider-Man, I felt like they were really pushing for him to be, like, the youthful person, like, with giving him the skateboarding thing and, like, the technology and everything. Like, they were like, we, we really need to sell that this dude is young. So we're going to give him all these, like, youthful things. Like, old people don't skateboard, right? So let's give him a skateboard and make him cool. And uh, and this one is the one where they finally got it right. They didn't, like, try and force anything upon this Peter Parker. They kind of just let him speak for himself and kind of exist in this world that he was just going to school in. I mean, he had the, the, the um, what do you call that? Not mock trial. What is his team in this movie? It's uh, trivia, I guess. or the Oh, the academic decathlon team? Yes, ac academic decathlon. <laughs> 
Yeah, and just the high school setting, too. You do spend a lot of time there in this movie, which we didn't really get to see much of in Civil War because he was needed for a specific purpose. He showed up, he did his thing, and then Tony took him home. So, you know, it's one of those things where we really get the feel for how well Holland can really play the character in this movie. And we will talk about him as peter more later on but because of where the movie starts i want to start this conversation about the movie specifically the details anyway on how much time they spend on the vulture away from him being with peter because when we see the beginning of the movie you have adrian tombs working he's salvaging you know, the destruction from the Avengers previously, basically, and damage control comes in. And I think that's a really nice introduction to the character. We sort of see his day job, so to speak, but you see all of this alien tech lying around and we get a glimpse as to what he's actually doing when he's salvaging this stuff. Yeah, framing it around the what the battle in new york i guess that's what they call it in the mcu yeah like framing it around that was super like i think it was a great move just to immediately bring you into the mcu i mean they put you right in the middle of grand central station with that uh what are they called goliaths or leviathans that's what they're called um with the leviathan corpse kind of in there like that's where in avengers one where you know hulk and thor ride that thing through that window and you know like they you know, Thor tries to congratulate Hulk and Hulk punches him, you know, like that, that's where that happened. That's where that took place. And so to open the movie in a scene that we've seen, like in the aftermath of that, you know, we haven't, it's kind of what they touched on in Civil War, you know, where they frame everything in the real world and like the consequences of superheroes. Um, and that's what we're seeing as we pick up the movie and introducing us to this vulture villain who is not your typical villain i guess I, I think he's one of the more interesting ones in the entire mcu you know right. he's not he's not like he's not megalomaniacal per se he is just like a boss of a company so he's like megalomaniacal in that sense where he probably has an ego because he runs a company and then puts a lot in the line as that damage control person uh kind of critiques him for but he he just he there's there's no crazy origin story with this guy. You know, there's no yeah. horrible science experiment gone wrong. He's just a man that's like being kept down by the man, you know? And even though he has this ginormous set of wings, he really is sort of like a ground level villain because he's not setting out to destroy all of the Avengers or destroy the world or anything like that. He just wants to make money being a criminal, you know? He wants to provide for his... Yeah, he's trying to put bread in the table at home, you know? He's, he's trying to feed his family. And yeah, it just... It's such a... They hint at him having like some kind of military background. Um, I think like his bomber jacket's one one aspect of that. That, I mean, obviously alludes to the, the vulture look, you know, like... I don't think the vulture ever wore like a bomber jacket with a ruffled, you know, collar. Um, but it definitely adds to the vulture imagery. But they also allude to him when, uh, I guess, in, to skip ahead, the the kind of like the final monologue uh, or the final, you know, diatribe that he goes on against right. Peter in the warehouse being like, we do this, we, we clean up after them, we fight in their wars. Like he, ju- he definitely strikes me as ex-military and like, you know, come and find his place after war and 
you know, he a demolition crew. It's kind of what he picked up in a salvage crew. And that's how he's making his, his living. So, like, immediately you know this is not, like, a guy that you hate right off the bat. Um, you kind of see him as, like, maybe a little off, but all, but just, like, kind of, ang- like, angry and, and stepped on. And I think Michael Keaton went in record an interview saying that that's how he sees this character as a guy. But he, he seemed to think that that was a negative thing for this character. He thinks this guy has a why me disposition. But um, I, I don't see it exactly as a why me disposition. I see it more as like a, you know, carpe diem uh, outlook on life, not not a despondent one. Yeah, definitely. And with him, you have this notion that there are a lot of layers to the character, too, because it's not just him wanting one thing and going out and trying to accomplish that. Like you said, his family is very important to him and he's trying to put food on the table. So when we do see him interacting with Peter and, you know, that happens several times by the end of the movie, but you have that scene with him and Peter in the car going to homecoming and he has Liz go ahead so he can talk to Peter. And he makes the comment that, you know, he saved his daughter, so he's going to spare him for now anyway. <laughs> and you can tell that even though he is a criminal, his family comes above everyone else and even himself, because if he didn't care that much about his family, he probably would have just ended Peter right there. And I think the fact that they did all of this building up with the vulture away from his interactions with Peter really helped with that because you could see his frustration when he was in his evil lair as Peter calls it and things weren't going as planned and he's just trying to make a living no matter how you know how bad it is basically you know he's selling this crazy technology and even other criminals are like no 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 I don't want anything to do with that (laughs) Right, and I, I mean, just compare him to, like, Green Goblin in, in Raimi's Spider-Man 1. Um, think about that, you know, like, that that villain, Willem Dafoe, his Green Goblin, you know, he you know had the experiment happen to him, and he immediately went on this crazy, like, angry, uh, like, revenge path. And remember, he, like, blows up the bunker with all the military people. He goes to the parade and fries all the, the corporate, like, bigwigs that shut him down. And when you think about what Toombs does, the the vulture, like what he does in this movie, he's like kind of like sneaking around just stealing tech from Stark and the Avengers and damage control. And like, yeah, he could go crazy and go after the woman that shut him down in Grand Central when he was salvaging after the Battle of Manhattan, but he doesn't. He doesn't have like a mean streak. And you can even see uh, he kills the first shocker, uh, Herman Schultz, like the guy who looks incredibly like Tom Hardy. Did you notice that? I did. And it's so funny. I was thinking about this. I was like, wait, that wasn't Tom Hardy and Upgrade this whole time? And I hadn't seen the movie, but I had seen the (laughs) trailer and I was like what is going on and I went like yeah down this rabbit hole of looking at pictures of the two of them I was like I can't deal with this it was distracting how much he looked like Tom Hardy and I feel like they put the beard on him just for that purpose <laughs> uh, but anyway but when he when he fries that dude he's like oh shoot I thought that was the anti-gravity gun and yeah he, and Tink- Tinkerer is like no no that was the the definitely fry him to death gun and <laughs> you can see like he's not torn up about taking a life but he like he definitely didn't he just meant to teach the guy a lesson not to kill him and i think that's what separates him like that's the best illustration of what separates this villain from 
like a Willem Dafoe or even like an Otto Octavius in, in Spider-Man 2. Like, I, I don't even want to talk about the Spider-Man, like the amazing Spider-Man villains, because those are just, I, I can't even, oh. But, but like Otto Octavius was driven by like just this revenge against Spider-Man in particular, blaming him irrationally for the death of his wife. Um, it, it's not even personal on this level. It's it, like Michael Keaton as an actor goes so far out of his way to make it, or, and, and the writers too, just to make it seem like the Vulture is nothing personal against Spider-Man and even thanks him for saving his daughter, like you pointed out. Um, like it just, I, I think Keaton was the perfect choice for all sorts of meta reasons, but also for the reasons of like uh, just acting, you know, like he, he has a good deadpan. He has a good kind of like, pseudo mod bo- mob boss you know like kind of like the the playing it cool um but also you know he'll kill you in two seconds if you cross him um you know like the Birdman thing the batman thing it's all it's all really interesting like in a meta sense too <laughs> yeah absolutely while we are on the topic of specific characters though i also want to talk about the characterization of aunt may and even though she doesn't play a huge role in this movie necessarily she's still an important part of peter's life and i always felt like as i've been going through and reading the initial amazing spider-man run it's one of those things where i was like is aunt may his grandmother or something because she's so old in the comics that to me you know marissa tomei's age makes much more sense if she is the sibling of one of his parents. So in the comics, I was like, you know, this feels off because Aunt May is this frail old lady who is constantly going in and out of the hospital and Peter's in like college. And most people's parents are not like 80 years old when they're 20. So it was Mm, always something that I thought was a little odd. And it seems like they've kind of been making Aunt May younger throughout the movies and I really do like her as Aunt May though because she can relate to Peter a little more even though there's still you know this age difference yeah I think this is this is definitely my favorite May Parker I mean you 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 have I I don't remember the actress's name she's a very well-respected actress um from Spider-Man 1 she was definitely the old old lady May that you see in Amazing Spider-Man. And in the comic run, they're pretty consistent with her with May, like just making her this like really old, frail woman who's, like you said, in in a hospital. I mean, she gets shot in uh, like right after Civil War, the first one. She gets like almost assassinated by accident, I guess. And, you know, yeah, she's just like on the brink of death constantly and, the, and looking the part too. Um, and then we had Sally Fields in Amazing Spider-Man, like definitely younger... But still, like, that was probably the right age, I feel. I, I, I guess there's no right and wrong. But I think Sally Field was kind of like what May Parker should have been like in, in Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Um, but then we have this May, which, and I think overall Homecoming borrows heavily from Ultimate Spider-Man. That's not like a surprise to anybody or anything. And Ultimate Spider-Man has always been my favorite run of the comic, uh, of the Spider-Man character. I mean probably just because I grew up with it um, and it was like right around the time I was a teenager. So I could more align with that. But May and Ultimate Spider-Man is, they start off like drawing her a little bit older, but as as the, you know, you progress into the, the series, you get, you definitely get a feel for like May, maybe in her forties, maybe, maybe in her fifties, she's like, she's going gray. 
um, a lot more youthful dialogue, you know, an amazing spider in May is, is she's got this, like always this like sweet old lady kind of thing. And like you nasty, like villain, like coming after my Peter or whatever, you know? Um, and then she definitely is a lot more, uh, aggressive, I should say about like raising a teenager in ultimate Spider-Man. And that's who Marissa Tomei is in this, you know? Um, do you get the feel, do you get the feel that like Marissa Tomei's Aunt May is like, uh, she's, she's definitely been like cast into this, like raising Peter kind of thing. Like she it definitely doesn't feel like as, as maternal. It seems more like sibling like to me. Yeah, I definitely get that feeling because, you know, she's driving him to the house party and it is like, oh, I remember these, you know, she's not even really that worried about him until the moment when he's out on the ferry. She doesn't know he's there, but he is trying to solve this big mess that he got himself in and he is not answering his phone. So that's when we really see that worry come into play that we're so used to seeing in the older comics where Aunt May just worries all the time. Like, you know, she's telling Peter to put a jacket on and things like that. But I do get what you're saying. It's more of a friendly relationship than it is a maternal relationship necessarily yeah I don't I don't I'm definitely not the expert on on like maternal and calling things that like I I definitely you're totally right like she she does like try and take care of him but there's something uh, there's something like less con there's no condescension do you know what I mean like I feel like in a lot of a lot of superhero movies or just dramas or comedies or whatever in general there's always this weird condescension of adult to, to child parent to child and in this one, I feel like May's got so much going on. Like, you don't really get to see her, um, her work life or anything. Like, we don't have her like, oh, sorry, I got to work late, Peter, like, or anything like that. It's just, just this frazzled lady who's kind of like, you know, taking, she's like, oh, I tried to cook, but I couldn't do it. Let's go out for Thai food. And then, like, <laughs> the waiters are all hitting on her. The guy at the deli has the hots for her. Um, you, know, you know, like, you, you, you're getting a taste of what this lady experiences, but she doesn't she seems to be moving at like in parallel with Peter as opposed to like riding him or like intersecting with him randomly throughout the day. She she just seems to be like living her life in parallel with him and, and trying her best. Uh, But you know, whatever tragedy befell her, which Peter alludes to, to Ned, you know, whether uncle Ben died from a gunshot, like in the traditional Canon, you know, origins or, you know, like I was thinking how, how much better it would have been if like uncle Ben just got sick, you know, as a result of like, being around in a radiated Peter or something, you know, like something stupid like that. But like, I'm looking like, I don't think they'll touch. I think they'll leave uncle Ben for whatever's coming next. And that can be something we discuss towards the end of our conversation probably is what we're thinking for far from home. But, um, but yeah, I just think this, this may was definitely my favorite as far as, as any portrayal of her. And it just was really nice. I I thought they had great chemistry, Tom Holland and Marissa Tomei. I agree. And I don't think we needed that sort of condescending parent from her because he's already getting that from Tony especially when he keeps sort of taking on more than he can handle himself and Tony keeps having to clean up after him but it's just one of those things where you know she's like the cool aunt in this and I am totally fine with that because to me that feels a little more realistic I guess for Peter's age and everything like that because the actress is 53 years old so whether or not she's playing someone who's 50 plus in the movie is another story because like you said most people do not play their age in movies but she's still probably playing at least a 40 something year old aunt and I think that fits better with 
the dynamic for this film. Mm, totally. Did you, um, this is like a weird topic to talk about, I guess, but did you feel like they made May in this less overtly like sexy or something like that? Like, I, like, I feel like they tried to make May like they in a certain way, like in, in this one, they gave her those big glasses. Yeah, and the big grandma her, glasses. <laughs> she was a little, a little more gangly. Like I think, like they, like they tried to make her less conventionally attractive in, in in Homecoming, as opposed to in Civil War, where she had like the makeup on and she was like flirting with Tony Stark as she, as he was there. Yeah, you know, and her hair. I felt like in Homecoming, like I'm. It, it just felt like they they definitely they realized their mistake in making May like. Uh, uh, like kind of objectifying her in that way is like the hot aunt and they're right. like right, let's make her more of a real person in this and you know like we'll give her like you know some like make her hair longer give her some kind of oversized glasses um and yeah they also changed the apartment did you notice that too like peter's bedroom is not the peter's bedroom from civil war yeah i definitely noticed that because the desk in the closet and everything are like in different spots it seemed like so well, he also had a bunk bed right yeah there was no bunk bed in civil war he like he him and tony sit down and there's like a trap door in the ceiling remember like yeah uh it seemed like you know he was in more of like a well i guess the building you really don't get a feel for that but i mean i guess they could have moved (laughs) you never know (laughs) sort of i guess doesn't he he maybe in the two months that he gets back from uh berlin uh, where did he go with yeah, Tony? Yeah, yeah, Berlin. Like he gets back from there, and maybe they're moving in the middle of that. Who knows? But, um, but they definitely, you know, they they move to a new apartment or a new bedroom or something like that. Yeah. So the next thing I want to talk about is Tom Holland as Peter and the introduction that they give him in this because it's a very unique introduction since it is a home video that he is shooting on his phone, and it takes place during civil war so we see little bits of civil war clips from like different angles and everything like that and you can see how he's sort of annoying happy with all these questions and he puts on the wrong suit because he didn't realize his hotel room was as big as it was and it's just sort of a really endearing introduction to the character for his solo film yeah i think it was really important to introduce peter in that style because we need we need to set up why he feels so small and you know he I guess maybe he's the equivalent of like like a band getting really famous off their first single without having much of a history beforehand like just a band getting snatched up and and made you know like the biggest thing in the world and then having to follow it up you know like he was part of one of the biggest you know superhero conflicts in the history of superheroes you know in the MCU you know uh and he just has to we need to see him like thinking like, oh, this is my big shot. This is it. This is the one. This is it. Okay, ready. Here I go. And seeing all the cool stuff he gets. And then he gets dropped back off at his apartment. And he's kind of like, oh, it's like, it's like, I, I used to tour uh, and I would get back from tour. And these were not big tours by any means. But like, you know, you, you feel like you're living the rock star dream. And then you get dropped off back at your house. You know, the van leaves you there. And you're kind of like, oh, I'm right back where I started. And I have nothing in my pocket. And I guess I just kind of have to go do my own thing now. And so that's, I feel like that intro to Tom Holland as Peter Parker and that, that high school kid, we need to first see that he's a high school kid and he's super excitable about what he's doing and that he's sort of in over his head. Um, and we need to see that he has to, he has to figure out what direction to head off into now. And I think that's, that's, 
the primary reason for that intro, besides it being really funny and hilarious. Yeah, definitely. And it feels very in line with how he feels about being Spider-Man, too. You know, it's like everything is exciting and sort of nerve-wracking at the same time for him. So we see a lot of that because he's like, oh, I didn't know this was a thing. Or, you know, he's just so bewildered by so many different things out in the real world, outside of his little, you know, neighborhood in New York. Yeah, I think also there's like... (sighs) I think they're substituting like the whole wrestling past of Amazing Spider-Man, you know, uh, like going and like living for himself. They're substituting that idea of lack of responsibility with the idea that Tom Holland is just kind of like being a superhero without any training, that kind of thing. Like that's his learning that great power comes great responsibility thing. And, you know, the wake of destruction that he leaves behind him is, is what we're supposed to interpret as his... Uh, lack of responsibility here in this movie yeah he just has this inexperience because he's used to going and grabbing purse snatchers or like the guy who steals the bike and then the guy who he thinks is breaking into a car to try and steal it but it's just the person's car and he like locked his keys inside (laughs) or something like that which you know it's someone who has a car that does happen every once in a while i've done it once only once but it's because I have manual locks, so it's very easy to just lock something in there and not realize it because then, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have this thing that's stopping you from doing so because you have to hit a button and actually have your keys in your hand. But anyway, it's just those little moments where you're like, okay, this is the stuff he's good at, but then you see the ATM scene and you're like, okay, maybe he doesn't quite have a handle on everything just yet and we get a good laugh about that when ned finds out that there's the training wheels protocol on his suit and Mm. you know his suit is limited because tony it's not that tony doesn't trust him yet he just doesn't think he's experienced enough to unlock the full capabilities of his suit and we see what happens when he does that anyway yeah, I mean, like, there's an instant kill mode. You know, like, no 15-year-old needs an instant kill mode on his suit if they're not fighting, you know, like, Thanos or something like that. It was it was very much like a, you know, Tony is a weapons manufacturer when you when you all think, like, I mean, Toombs points that out too, you know, like, how do you think, like, Stark paid for the Avengers Tower by selling weapons? Um, and, you know, I, the Iron Man suit is a is a weapon as well, uh, one that, a lethal weapon, should I say. Right. Um, and like that, and Tony's not going to build a suit that's like a, a half-ass suit. He's going to build a suit that is just like he's got to put restrictions on that because it needs to be able to fit the full gamut for what like anybody who's going to wear it. Like, sure, it's geared towards Spider-Man, the, you know, Tom Holland, Peter Parker. But I mean, this is the, any that could, that suit could fit any superhero, and it could do some serious damage. So it makes sense that he has that training wheels protocol on there. Yeah, there was another one on there, too. I'm blanking on the name of it. But after he gives Karen her name, she mentions that there's like the baby monitor protocol on there or something, too, which. Oh, where she's recording it. Yeah, yeah, she records and there's like a tracker, I guess, so that they always know where he's going because we see Happy call him later on in the movie. And he's like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Just because he's getting on a bus to go to the academic decathlon. And he was like, okay, I guess that's not a big deal. (laughs) 
Those things are nice too, though. The the baby monitor I, like protocol, like they sprinkle that throughout the movie. I think the first one is the when he's leaving DC. Um, I think after he falls into the lake too, you get that thing where Tony's like, like think about like you should be doing this kind of stuff and that kind of stuff, like the churro lady, and that was a message that Peter left on Happy's answering machine. You know, like so. Right. Tony is getting the messages, you know, as much as Peter thinks he's being ignored by Happy, who has much better things to do, much more important things to do. Um, you know, like the churro lady, the, um, the, like you said, the, uh, the, 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 um, well, just in, in general, just, just everything. Um, what does it come down to in the end? Um, calling the FBI, you know, when they're on the ferry scene, like Tony is listening to all these things. And by sprinkling sprinkling it in there, you learn a lot more about Tony. Like, he does really care. Um, You know, we're seeing a lot of this movie from Peter's perspective, and he feels like he's being shut out. And it turns out he's not. And he's just, you know, an angsty teenager. Yeah, that's a good segue into Tony and Peter's relationship, though, because I wouldn't say it's extremely fatherly by any means because, you know, it's maybe more along the lines of him being the cool uncle, so to speak, because he's giving him all of this tech that he can use. And even though he's trying to limit him based on his experience for now, it's not something that clicks with Peter right away. And, you know, he has the line to Peter, if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. And he does take the suit away to sort of give him this tough love lesson. And it works because you see Peter sort of struggling with, you know, why would he do this to me? And he has his homemade suit, which is fun to see that because it's sort of a throwback without really having it feel too forced. You know, Tony took away the suit for a reason. He didn't take it away just so we could see the homemade suit. Yeah, totally. It was not like a like if that had ha- if this was like movie three in this series or like even movie two, and he he donned that suit, I'd be like, okay, come on. It's like in a Skyfall with James Bond when he goes back to the Aston Martin, like that like the vintage Aston Martin in the middle of it, and and they play the old Bond theme, and you're like, okay, this is a little gratuitous with the camp and the um like the the callback thing. Right. You know, it's 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 a very wink wink at the audience, and this did not feel like a wink wink. This just felt like the next practical thing. You know, the only thing Peter could do in this situation good call yeah yeah absolutely and like I said earlier you know Tony is a bit condescending to him and it's not because he wants to be mean to him you know he even points out to Peter that you know if something happens to him it's on Tony to deal with that because no one else really thought that bringing in a 15 year old was a good idea And he took this big chance on Peter and, you know, he had the quote unquote Stark internship that he kept going to. And we see that he's been watching everything that Peter is doing. And regardless of whether or not he responds to Peter, it's like, yes, okay, Tony does care about people other than himself these days. He's grown quite a bit since that first Iron Man movie. And I think we see a lot of that in the what like 10 minutes that he's in this movie oh my gosh i know it's not even that much i mean he's got what do we have the intro scene is like you know three or four minutes we got the scene on the uh we got the scene at the playground after he gets rescued from the the lake or the river i think it's the east river and he's technically not even there <laughs> yeah right but i mean he's got screen time i guess yeah. um he's he's on the call too as well at some point um he's like 
Um, he has like a video call with him at some point too. And then, you know, then you have the scene on the ferry as well. Um, and I think that's, oh, and then the, then the closing scene as well too. So you have right. like four prominent, you know, on screens for Robert Downey Jr., which amount, like you said, to maybe um, like 15 minutes tops. You know, I, yeah. could, I it couldn't be more than 15 minutes, you know, and he probably still got like $10 million for his appearance. He did. <laughs> you know, it, it's just like, uh, this, I, I think we were mentioning this before um, we started recording, but I had the only time I've ever engaged with anybody on Facebook in like a, an argument is over this movie. You know, I don't even follow the person. I, I probably had to unfollow this person way beforehand because they're such like a staunch, like they, they feel like they're such a film critic. And then they started going in on Homecoming and I just love this movie so much. It's not like, you know, Twitter, Twitter war, but it was just pretty close to it. Um, but th- this guy essentially on Facebook was like, Robert Downey Jr., I'm sick of him being shoehorned into Marvel movies, into the MCU. And to me, I, like this relationship between Peter and Tony is like, it's what makes this movie tick pretty much. It's, it's the motor behind this thing. Yeah, and I know in that Facebook post, you mentioned that they have tried to accomplish something similar in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, and they just weren't able to because they weren't allowed to show us these characters and any of the Avengers. So the fact that they get to put Spider-Man in this universe and use him properly for what feels like the first time, pretty much, it makes sense to have someone like Tony Stark show up in the movie because he's the one who brought Peter in to Civil War. So that relationship is already established. So to just completely ignore it and only reference him without showing him would seem very odd to me. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that that their relationship, not only is it a father-son thing, but it's a juxtaposition thing. Like You have this man on the ground, Peter Parker, um, doing the small time thing like that's his that's his order to do this and then you have you know uh tony stark who flies a nuclear bomb into a wormhole and delivers it to an alien mothership that's you know about to dominate earth like you like these are two very different types of superhero and you need that contrast and like you can't substitute thor because thor is not a human uh and they're just not going to connect right you could substitute banner but banner is more like you know a loose cannon in terms of his powers and like in control um who else we have we have i guess scott lang uh you know as ant-man you could i could see some mentorship going there but scott lang is just a big kid himself you know not in the not in the same way that tony stark is but in in a similar way um what other people are there you know to kind of go vision is a robot can't really partner them up and give them a relationship uh black widow is a killer uh an assassin you know as, as much as we love her she you know takes lives peter parker doesn't do that if he can help it Hawkeye would have no regard for this kid you know like there's no way Hawkeye in a million years would care about a teenager um doing his stuff and he's similarly violent in the way that Scarlett Johansson is or Black Widow I should say um um who else what other Avengers we got here Captain America okay so Captain America is a very good example of someone who could have substituted for Tony Stark in this father-son role except for the fact that 
you know, Civil War happened and yeah. Captain America, as they point out, is, uh, what is he, like a state, an enemy of the state? Or what does yeah. Hannibal Burris say as, as the gym teacher? He's like, I'm pretty sure this guy's a wanted criminal right now, but, you know, whatever. It's required by the state to show these videos. <laughs> yeah, and those PSAs are something I want to quickly touch on here because, in a way, you know, it kind of shows that Captain America wants to help these kids still, but they just do it through video instead of him actually being there, obviously. And I think that was just a nice little funny touch to the movie, considering what happened in Civil War. It's like, okay, yeah, there's this guy. He's great, but he's kind of wanted. So we're just going to show you these anyway, and don't become a wanted criminal. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like having, I'm trying to think of like, I don't know, like seeing anything from Nixon or something like that, you know, in, in after he was impeached or resigned or whatever it was, um, you know, like after like seeing like looking back on like a campaign speech or like a something like, well, this guy really, really botched it. <laughs> um, but yeah, back to the Tony Peter relationship, like there's no one else that so closely mirrored Peter's interests and his penchant for science and his intelligence um, and his desire to do good. Uh, as opposed to, you know, take lives or whatever. Um, so, you know, for when, for when I had that Facebook debate, um, I just think that, like, it, it doesn't, like, Robert Downey Jr. needed to be in this. And it would have been a huge cop-out, as you just pointed out, um, to, to like, be like, oh, yeah, remember the Battle of Manhattan? Or, like, oh, do you hear about, like, on the news, like, show a news clip of whatever? Kind of like having Scarlett Johansson in Thor Ragnarok, you know, in the on the video screen, like, playing the callback to Avengers 2. Like, it was, it wasn't, and it, that wasn't so much a cop-out, but, like, just tossing Avengers in there for the sake of Avengers would right. have been a total cop-out. But by giving you Robert Downey Jr. for whatever, however many minutes, 10 to 15 minutes, it was perfect. It was just, it... it 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 really made this movie turn, you know. Like you have, te- I think you have teen angst, and you have this this juxtaposition of big time and little time superheroes here. Yeah, we've done a ton of character talk, but we still have quite a bit more to do. Just because there are so many people in this movie in general, even some of the characters that have you know roles that are only a minute or two, they have this importance in Spider Man's history and you know i'll start off with a few of the smaller roles because we see characters like betty brant in this and she plays a huge role in those first amazing spider-man issues because she works at the daily bugle but in this instead she's the one giving the morning announcements at the high school with one of the other kids and it was kind of nice to just see their different takes on some of these characters especially by putting them all in high school you know that wasn't necessarily how peter knew them in the comics but you have her you have liz allen you have mj you have ned and they're all in this same place so you have to have these different takes on them in order for those characters to work and obviously the others have slightly larger roles but i also like that mj isn't mary jane her name's michelle so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I mean, we we really, really, really don't need a damsel in distress here. I right. think we're, I think we're past that in superhero movies. I feel like you know we have like Ant Man and the Wasp. We have a strong female character in in Wasp, and we have a strong female character in Scarlett Johansson. Like MCU is definitely over. Like women being, I think they, they I think Pepper Potts, she 
kind of got powers at the end of Iron Man 3, right? Like, wasn't she in some, like, she had some, like, kind of exposure to whatever? And I she... think so. Yeah, so, like, I mean, they even flip that in that sense. And Pepper Potts, I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow's Pepper Potts is probably, like, the most vulnerable out of anybody, you know? Like, just she she hasn't done anything. I don't think any action scenes, really. Um, but, like, that's the thing is, like, I don't, I think we're past the kind of Gwen Stacy of Amazing Spider-Man, you know, getting her neck snapped or, right. or, or like, the screaming Mary Jane, uh, Kirsten Dunst's Mary Jane. Like, you know, just the, what they did to that character in that Sam Raimi trilogy was just so sad, you know, like, and it's, I'm all for interpretation of characters, um, but, like, you know... Kristen Dunst was like, I just don't want to be stuck in, like, you know, like uh, hanging from something screaming in this one. And then sure enough, end of Spider-Man 3, she's in like a convertible hanging over a construction site, screaming her ass off. And like, like th- there's more to this character than that. Like Mary Jane, I don't remember her really ever being in distress in the comics in recent times, you know? Even when the comics first started, she was extremely independent, you know? It was sort of Aunt May yeah. and Gwen Stacy who were feeling like they were a little clingy when it came to Peter you know Gwen kept trying to figure out what was going on with Peter and kept wanting him to come to parties whereas with Mary Jane she was like okay no big deal I'll go hang out with Harry instead so it was just one of those things where her character I feel like they did her a little more justice in the early comics because she was so independent compared to all of the other women in the issues and with this MJ you definitely get that same sort of feeling she's like you know I'm my own person I don't have friends whatever you know I just sort of go with the flow and she does her own thing even though you know people might think she's weird for it but she still hangs out with Peter and Ned and you sort of see that coming together at the end when she's the new leader of the academic decathlon team and she sort of grills Peter she's like where are you going? What are you hiding? I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, she doesn't really care what Peter is up to in his spare time. And I think that's going to bode well for her being in future movies. But you you saw that extra shot after Peter gets up from the table to go to the bathroom, right? Like, remember? do you remember that scene? Like, she just kind of like, you see her look after Peter again. And like, the look on her face is totally different than what it was a second ago when she said she didn't care. Like, she fully is like, she she like it looks like she actually cares where she's where he's going and i feel like i could have done without that you know like i i don't want any more like romance stuff going on and i get i get that like sex sells or that you know you know there has to be some kind of romantic interest to drive this plot i don't think it's true i think this movie does fine you know like with just like this innocent teenage romance like right uh, between like peter and liz or like his crush that he has on her and I just, you know, I, I really don't need her to be, like, MJ to be used as bait in whatever comes next. But I think this this MJ is, in spirit, what Mary Jane is in the comics. You know, it's, it's, it's I think it is a better interpretation than we've gotten before. Um, basically, just because you know, she's, like, reading Sylvia Plath, you know, um, she during gym class, she's, like, faking push-ups, reading a reading a book on her back, like doing push-ups upside down. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> she flips Peter off when he gets to the dance. Like yeah. I, like I guffawed, like I, I don't do that often. I'll laugh, but like I like chuck, like, I made the most ugly laugh in the world in the theater when she flips off Peter when he's coming to the homecoming dance. Like I thought that was the stupidest thing in the world, but it was so funny. Um, and you have the, like 
just like her like against the, like pointing out that the Washington Monument is like a is built by slaves and the the security guard kind yeah. of is like ah, yeah a little bit it was <laughs> and uh Martin Starr is kind of like oh okay well I respect that um just like her protesting and like she just seems like like a really great character and a really great take on the not damsel in distress and it was just really refreshing to see all these characters that way and not like harping so hard on them. Like, like Betty Brent,